37th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. Well, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to an exciting episode of Pixelated Paranormal. I am Sean, and tonight, dude, I got the bubble guts. You ever get that, where your stomach just won't quit fucking bubbling and churning, and you're just ripping dirty all day long? Do you hate when that happens? Do you hate when your tummy gets a little a little rumble-dumble? <laughs> uh. Yeah, yeah, dude. I'm actually uh, I'm drinking some kombucha to calm my guts down because apparently it's going to realign the um, you know microbiome in my tum tum there. So yeah. Anyway, uh, if you guys missed that first part, I uh, been farting all day. I haven't made kombucha in so long, dude. I know you you used to brew it, and uh, I kind of wish you'd get back to it. Um, uh, I'll probably do it this summer. Well, our buddy Jordan um, has been brewing a little bit here and there, so if he ends up migrating closer, you know, I think it'd be cool for you guys to have a booch off, man. Kind of, yeah. Just see uh, who who's gonna brew a little bit. Whose booch is whose booch is better, Jordan? My booch or your booch? Oh, right. <laughs> what you booching about? Well, tonight's episode is gonna be pretty fun. But before we get into it, Preston, how have you been, sir? Jeffrey and I went to Tulsa this weekend for the mm-hmm. Curiosity and Oddities Fair. Let me hold up. So I myself and now, I don't know how well you can see that, but uh, I in fact have a skull with a octopus tentacle uh, in it. And uh, hell yeah, dude. Yeah, it was uh, it was actually pretty. Pretty cool. They had a lot of different booths and stuff. Uh, a lot of uh, stickers and patches, uh, taxidermy objects. Um, if I thought that I could get away with it without pissing a lot of people off, the one of the guys. Mm-hmm. So the guy that actually had, that I bought the tax, you know, the what do you what do you call the octopus in the jar? The preserved, I think, a specimen. He had a preserved cat head in a jar. Uh, Damn. Like 200, 275 bucks, and Jeffrey was like, "Oh fuck no, uh, I can't, I can't do that." <laughs> like the the octopus yeah. tentacle doesn't bother me, so if that's what you want, like knock your socks off, but uh, do not mm-hmm. get that fucking cat head. And I'm just like, it's fucking, I, it's cat head, you know? Like doesn't bother me. It's it not is, like it's a dog. You know, it's not like it's a dog head. Like it's just a cat. Right. It is a morbidly curious thing to have, and. I wouldn't look at you too weird about it, man. I remember back when I was in um, life drawing class at Butler, back in community college, one of our um, still lifes we would draw is our teacher, Valerie. Oddly enough, her dad and my dad were really, really good friends. And um, her dad, Merle, was working under a house at one point. And the crawl space was, you know, blocked off and sealed off. And he got underneath there and found like three or four cats that had, you know, been deceased and they'd been under there so long and the crawl space was sealed off completely um, to where they were mummified. They were decomposed and mummified. So again, not trying to piss people off because I know animals are, you know, touchy subject, but they were completely just mummified. So bones and skin and, and they were cool as shit and we would draw them. 
Yeah, this uh, so this uh, one shop there called the Black Moth. Uh, they they have a, a like a brick brick and mortar store there in Tulsa. Mm-hmm. And so after the Curiosity um, Expo, like we went to go check it out, and they have get this. Somebody found a perfectly mummified dog out in the Arizona desert. It's like an old like I don't know if it's like a, an Irish bloodhound, but it was like from mm-hmm. the uh, late 1800s. And so they have it in like one of the you know the crystal you know globe head jar display case thingies <laughs> right, right it's like 750 bucks so it's like oof oh i can't justify spending 700 but it's i mean it's cool because it's a perfectly mummified dog head um and that's something i would probably yeah buy and put in the office and be like don't judge me <laughs> right right i mean that kind of stuff's cool dude and you know i can't judge you because i have a fucking ass watch now so you know no yeah. judgment here buddy judgment free zone well, one of my key men phoned to tell me that he was sicker than a dog. Huh. What's that there? Sound bites? Huh? What are you talking about? Oh, weird. Um, I think the recording I'm working on, I just kind of copy and pasted the settings from last time, and I got one of your quotes that said, One of my key men phoned in and said he was sicker than a dog. And I thought you had interjected a soundbite in there. That was bizarre. That's going to be fun. So the entire recording is going to be me hearing you in that uh, famous, famous hillbilly accent. Which I can't do tonight, which disappoints me because I'm all... I mean, these these quotes are just kind of normal standard folk. You know, not really any kind of accents or affects or anything like that on this go-around. So. It's a me. It's a Mario. I was there in the forest and uh, right, right. a fucking fire demon came out of nowhere and it touched my pee-pee. On that note, dude, we went out and watched uh, the new Super Mario Brothers movie at the drive-in. We took our niece, and it's a pretty fun movie. I, I gotta yeah. say, man, I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go watch it again with my brother because you know we were supposed to go uh, see it together as well. Because again, you know, big Mario fan, a uh, fan enough that I've got a tattoo here on my on my bicep. So, yeah. Notice how I didn't flex my muscles because I'm not a douchebag. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll post a picture of that in the Instagram. But yeah, fun movie. Definitely worth a watch. Um, we'll see what happens. They're talking about doing an entire um, Super Mario Cinematic Universe now. So we'll see what happens there. But Jack Black is uh, Bowser? Yeah, I really liked it. I think he yeah. did a pretty damn good job of being Bowser. And uh, God, I love Jack Black anyway. You know what? Uh, what Jack Black is not good at? Being in fucking Star Wars, the uh, the last episode of The Mandalorian, he had a little oh, camo. Oh, uh-huh. It, it was fucking hideous. It was the worst. It's like, I, I have a lot of love for the spaghetti western that is The Mandalorian until mm-hmm. that episode that I'm just like, you fucking sellouts. Like, god dang it. What? Yeah. So I've heard such mixed reviews on this, man. You either loved it or you hated it. Um, I have yet to watch it yet, so I Dude, don't really so have Chris, an opinion to Chris, weigh in on. But Christopher Christopher Lloyd, Doc Brown, like anything that Christopher Lloyd in, solid, right? Uncle Fester, mm-hmm. like his character did not bother me. I I fucking enjoyed seeing old man Lloyd still doing his thing, but the <laughs> weird couple that is Lizio and Jack Black and. I think it's because, like, Lizio's acting was really horrid. 
Um, it was uh-huh. awkward. Like she was trying to be funny um, and charismatic and wasn't. And then Jack Black was uh-huh. like, I'm over the top. I'm Jack Black and I'm in Star Wars. And it's like, okay, uh, fuck off. I'm, I'm done. All right, go get some laser guns out. <laughs> Somebody fucking no. chop an arm off with a lightsaber. Like, let's get to it. Oh, no. Um, yeah. So, that, that if I if I think if uh, Lizio did a little bit better job on the acting part, like, not a lot. It's not like I, I need, like, I, just a touch. Put a little bit of spice in it's, it, girl. Just Emerald Lagasse, uh, that shit. Bam. Just a little bit. Just a, it's, it's, a little pinch. It's just Lizzo, you know? not Lizio. It's just Lizzo. Yeah. Well, she couldn't get acting right, so I'm not going to get her name right. So there's that. Wow. Ka-chow. Yeah. <laughs> if you're, uh, if oh, you're uh, Lizzo, if you're watching this, uh, maybe take acting courses. I don't know. I don't know what your day job wow. is. But it's not being in Star Wars, okay? You you took shots at Aaron Rodgers. You took shots at Lizzo. For yeah. fuck's sake, buddy. You're just going to have some a lot of professional beef. I'm taking shots at Jack Black right now, too, bud, because I don't know what the fuck you were doing. Yeah, but what the it, fuck? It, Mike. Yeah, it, it wasn't good, so. I have you know, my grandmother told me that when she worked with Jack Black, he was the nicest, sweetest, most, you know, charming young man that she's ever met next to me, of course, because, by God, I'm charming, too. But, yeah, when she was in Mars Attacks, she said that he was just, like, the nicest guy and, you know, carried her food to the table for her and always made sure that she had something to drink and, you know, if she was cold, make sure she had a blanket, stuff like that. So he always has a special place in my heart. And when I watch that episode of Mandalorian, I'm going to just let you know how I fucking feel about it. Yeah, either you're going to be like, dude, I totally fucking agree, or you're going to be like, dude, fuck you. Like, right, I don't know. yeah. Hashtag uh, where, where Team Lizio. Yeah, where, where did all this fucking hate come from? No, so. I've heard everybody's very split on that, so. Well, something else people are split on is us taking 10 minutes or longer to, you know, catch up on these episodes. So let's just fucking jump into fuck the em. story. <laughs> yeah, right. Fuck them. This is our podcast. We're going to do what we want. So You know, years ago, podcasts were just people talking and catching up and bullshitting, so. Yeah. I was reading in one of the many, 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 many weird books that I've got in the old pixelated paranormal library, and I came across a weird story about a group of dudes that encountered an alien that they said was made entirely of fire. And it got me thinking, Preston, it got my brain cooking, if you will. And it dawned on me that we really haven't ever talked too much about fire entities or ghosts or aliens or whatever. So I put together a cache of encounters that folks have had with flammable creatures of the fantastic. I'm going to interject that, like, whenever we talk, like, they're like, I saw an alien made of fire. Okay, listen, you uneducated motherfucker. You saw what the Islamic call a jinn or an elemental okay. that was made of fire. Not a fucking alien. Let's get all folkloric here. You saw a jinn mm-hmm. made of fire. Fair. That's it. That's all I had. Well, our first story takes place just off the North Sea coast of Suffolk, England. Back in the early autumn evening of September 20th, 1965, in the port town of Felixstowe. Now, Preston, you ever heard the one about the Felixstowe fire entity? No. Perfect. Well, strap on and hold tight. 
a group of three friends were out joyriding through their town on the way towards Essex, consisting of a driver, 25-year-old Jeffrey Maskey, and his two friends, Mavis... Hello! <laughs> Mavis Fordyce and Michael Johnson. Yo! Around 10.30 p.m., the trio decided to break away and pull off the road near a hedgerow on the isolated, tree-lined Walton Avenue. The guys were out walking up and down the shoulder, stretching, having a couple sips of whatever liquor they might be drinking from their flasks, when all of a sudden, Michael suddenly walked out into the tree line, off into the wooded area just off the road where they pulled over on. His two other friends, Mavis and Jeffrey, stayed behind, standing there kind of perplexed on the side of the road, both confused why Michael suddenly just took it upon himself to walk off into the tree line. But they simply assumed that the guy had to go take a leak, so they didn't take too much, didn't think too much about it. But then, just a few minutes after their friend took off into the tree line, Mavis and Jeffrey suddenly heard a strange, high-pitched humming sound, seemingly coming from somewhere in the sky above them. The two young men began to grow anxious and disconcerting about what was going on overhead. The sound became overwhelming, and suddenly they both decided they should get back into the car and wait for Michael to return from his little venture out to the woods. So Mavis leaned out the window and tried to figure out just where the noise was coming from, but still couldn't figure out just where or what was making the strange sound. Then suddenly, the boys noticed a bizarre, egg-shaped craft floating over the car. The two boys corroborated and decided it must have been about 90 feet above the car, an oval-shaped craft somewhere between 6 and 7 feet wide. They said the craft was orange in color and somehow it was glowing so brightly that the entire area around them, including the UFO, seemed to be glowing in a strange orange light. Suddenly the object shot away from the vehicle and disappeared, off behind the tree line. The two boys stared off in the direction where the craft disappeared for just a few minutes. Suddenly, they both had the same thought, Ah, oh, shit, that's where Michael took off to. So terrified, the duo began screaming Michael's name, trying to coax him out of the tree line, and also looking off into the darkness, just trying to figure out where that UFO had gone to. In an even more paranoid and impatient manner, Mavis shifted his car into reverse and began pulling away off the side of the road. Then suddenly he slammed on the brakes and pulled back off and decided they couldn't leave their friend abandoned in the forest with whatever the heck that bright craft might have been. Fuck him. His ass should have got in the car. <laughs> right, yeah. Piss on the side of the tire like everybody else. Yeah, you snooze, you lose, Michael. Snooze, you lose. <laughs> Furthermore, neither of the boys ever had much experience in dealing with UFOs and just what little green men might come crawling out of them. So they both decided to stay inside the vehicle on the side of the road, not testing fate for whatever might be skulking in the shadows of the trees. A few moments later, much to their relief, though, they saw the outline of a human figure walking out of the shadows from the trees and soon the lights from the side of the highway lit up the face, and they both realized it was their friend Michael. But something was strange about Michael. He was walking very slow, almost with a limp, slowly staggering back to the vehicle where his two friends were waiting. Mavis and Jeffrey both jumped up out of the vehicle, leaving it still running on the side of the road to help their friend, who at this point had collapsed on the side of the road beside the car. 
At first, they thought that he was just playing a practical joke, but suddenly they realized he was covered in sweat and unresponsive, just out cold. So not knowing what to do, the two boys drug him up to the side of the vehicle, tossed him in the back seat, and tried to make him as comfortable as they could. Together now with all three friends back in the car, Mavis sped up and tore off from the forest, leaving behind whatever was hiding in the shadows and whatever that weird orange glowing UFO might have been. They quickly sped away and took their friend to a hospital. Once they arrived, they quickly rushed inside to get medical help. Not knowing what exactly had happened to their friend Michael, they just told the doctors their friend got lost in the woods while going out to use the restroom. Oddly enough, the doctors noted that he had severe burn marks on the side of his head and the back of his neck. After about an hour or so of being in the hospital, Michael regained consciousness, but he seemed to have amnesia that washed over his brain because he couldn't quite figure out at first just who his friends were or where he was. The doctor on duty diagnosed him with an extreme case of shock due to some type of mental trauma. In addition to the severe burns and the shock, he also had a severe contusion just above his ear, which would need better medical attention, so the doctor transferred Michael to a different hospital in the neighboring town of Ipswich, which was far better equipped to deal with Johnson's injuries in his current psychological state. So Michael stayed the night at the second hospital, and his friends were told to leave. Fast forward to the next morning, the boys returned, and Michael had regained consciousness and most of his faculties by this point, and in the memories of exactly what happened the previous night had also begun to resurface. Neither Michael, his friends, nor the doctors that were treating him, him could believe what Michael claimed to have happened. He said that as soon as the car pulled over the last night, he exited the vehicle with his friends. But just when they started to chat and stretch their legs a little bit, an unknown sensation came over him and he suddenly felt strangely compelled to go off by himself into the woods. Like an unknown force was beckoning him to leave his friends and venture further into the trees by himself. And he wasn't exactly sure how long or how far he had been walking, but he said out of nowhere, the sky suddenly lit up and then without warning, a figure was standing in front of him. He said he had no clue where it came from. It was almost like it suddenly appeared out of nowhere. He described the being as having large, sloping eyes that seemed to be glowing from within, deep in the darkness. But even stranger still, the creature also seemed to be covered in a luminous orange flame dancing and flickering over the entire body. Whatever the thing was, was far too much for Michael to process at the moment, and so he passed out cold on the forest floor. Michael swore that he had no memories of what transpired next until he woke up the following morning in a hospital bed. So it goes without saying that the doctors who heard the young man's bizarre tale were skeptical to say the least, and the newspaper reporters from Ipswich Evening Star who published the strange account on September 21st were just equally as baffled. But nevertheless, Michael's friends, who have bore witness to the fiery egg-shaped UFO with their own eyes, believed their buddy full-heartedly and knew all too well that something strange and equally as terrifying had transpired in the woods near Walton Avenue late that night. 
So whether or not the creature was from the UFO or something completely different out of this world, possibly a demonic entity hailing from, you know, somewhere God knows where, is left unknown. But the burn scars on Michael's neck serve as a testament to what truly happened that evening. So Preston, what do you think, buddy? Jen. <laughs> Or, you like know, there's that, like uh, what was that crazy guy in the late 90s that was, like, trying to convince everybody that, like, aliens aren't real, but they're actually demons? So, I mean, technically, oh, yeah. it, it could have just been a demon that was on fire. But here's the thing, man. I, if I'm, if I'm like Michael, and I got a full bladder, and I'm out there, I'm a shy peer, and so I got to get away from everybody uh. else to take a piss, and something on fire comes up to me. Dude, I'm whipping my dick out and just fucking pissing all over. Like, I'll put that, I'll put that fire to bed. No, no questions asked. So, That's funny. I ain't, I ain't coming back looking like a, you know, like a fried chicken leg or anything like that. Like, you know, right? Burnt, burnt chicken. I'll piss that out, man. I like it. You know, I used to have a shy bladder too, and then um, it dawned on me one day that you know what, I just gotta take a piss. I'm not here to impress anybody. There's always going to be one bigger. There's always going to be one smaller. So I'm going to belly up to the old uh, trough or urinal station and fucking just let it rip. We went into a uh, concert not too long ago and had to have been like 10 urinals on the wall and a line of like 15 dudes and every other urinal was empty and people were waiting until one person finished. Nobody wanted to squeeze elbow to elbow between dudes. And I just walked up there and I said, you guys are fucking weird. I have to pee. I'm not here to impress anybody. If you want to look, go ahead. Otherwise, I got to take a piss. And a couple of guys chuckled. And then I looked over at the dude beside me and I was like, well, this is fucking weird, isn't it? And he's like, yeah. And I said, they ought to post a sign up here that says small talk conversation starters while you're taking a piss next to another dude whose elbows are bumping yours. By the time I left the bathroom, man, everybody's like, oh, okay, I guess it is okay to, you know, piss next to a dude. I had them all fucking laughing. It was a great time. So moral of that story is fucking go pee. The urinals in the expo center we were at this weekend, my problem mm -hmm. with pissing in, like, public urinals is they're, they're, they're lower than the angle of your dick. All right, ladies, if you've ever wondered what it's like to be a man and piss in public... Is like the urinals are usually like low to the ground, and so like you're pissing and your your piss is just splashing all over the place. The guy next to you, because we we don't we we don't lightly pee like most of us like, you know we're like children we hold it until we're about to explode. So I got my piss splashing all over the place, getting on the guy next to me. The guy next to me is pissing in his urinal, splashing it all over the place, getting it on me, and it could be like some weird piss sandwich if there's a guy on your left. So the urinals in this place, they were actual dick height. Like my, I didn't have to like bend my dick down. I didn't have to like aim. I just whipped it out mm -hmm. and they were deep and I was able to pee and pee wasn't splashing anywhere. I'm like, I feel like a fucking king. This is nice. You know, that's great. What kind of weird places do you pee at? I've never been showered by another dude's pee. I mean, I'm just saying, <laughs> you know. <laughs> also, the trick is, you know, being a man who's five foot nine, you know, like myself, um, I always pee in the kids' urinal, dude, because it's like knee high and it never splashes on me. Oh, yeah, you know. Well, you know, for those of us that are man size and six foot and above, 
You're not six feet tall. Uh, I'm five. I'm like five. I'm five eleven, and like I really, mm-hmm. I got screwed in like height because I'm like five eleven and three fourths. Like we went to, we took the kids one year to the. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, what's that fucking place that? Uh, the science, the science museum uh, where we ate the bugs. We did the the beer and the pain and the fear. Oh the ex, yeah, exploration. Uh, exploration. Place. Yeah. They had that uh, one year. They had that weird radar thing. Like you'd walk into this room. There's like this radar like hanging above. And as you're walking in, it would scan you. And this computer voice would come over. And it's like, you are four feet one. You know, whatever one and a half inches mm-hmm. and so my kid's like look at that dad i'm four feet and one inch i'm like oh well, fuck i don't know how tall am i exactly like this thing is getting like fucking descriptive and so i walk past it and it's like five feet 11 and like one half inches i'm like what you couldn't give me the extra half an inch and just say like six foot like what the fuck how can i like really <laughs> 11 and a half like I couldn't get the extra to just be a fucking even six. <laughs> God damn it. I was really concerned how long this episode is going to be. I was thinking like 40 minutes, but no, clearly we've spent the last 10 minutes talking about peeing, splashback, and how tall you aren't. I know. I'm really disappointed. I'm going like, to go five, ten and a half without your boots on. I'm thinking if I uh, keep the mohawk growing... That and I go back, so I get I just get the spikes up a little bit. I think I can confuse it, and I can get the voice to be like six feet, even be like yes, yes. That's adorable. You've <laughs> you've got a vendetta against a child museum robot. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, fifty three years later, after our last story. In Sonora, Mexico, a man named Mike was out walking one evening when he stumbled upon a fire that was burning in a driveway between a house and the car that was parked in front of it. He pulled out his phone, called 911 to report the fire, and then quickly opened up his camera to record the accident. Suddenly, to his amazement, a black figure that was roughly the size of a child suddenly emerged inside the flames and began walking slowly through the fire. Mike began to panic, thinking that somehow a child had emerged from the house and stumbled down into the fire. But then again, even stranger though, he happened to notice. The black figure seemed to have a head that was abnormally large to be that of a child, and it seemed to be relatively unscathed by the flames. He said eventually the being walked towards the edge of the fire to where he could see its arms, torso, and legs. But oddly at this point, Mike thought this thing was more animal than human, even though it was walking on the hind legs. Suddenly, though, to his disbelief, the figure seemed to vanish. Panicking even more that maybe whatever it was that was walking through the fire had fallen down, Mike rushed to the other side of the vehicle, only to discover that nothing but flames were in the driveway. The fire department arrived shortly after, putting out the fire, and no body or remains were discovered of whatever it was Mike witnessed casually strolling through the fire. Now, unfortunately, the next story doesn't take place in September, but I did think that was kind of a fun coincidence. We're going to go in the Wayback Machine for the next one here. 
Man, fuck you, dude. I could have totally done my redneck voice on this one. It fucking takes place in Kentucky. You don't give me the lines for that story. There's There are no lines for this story. It's short and sweet oh, like me. Could have made shit nine. up or something. I don't know. Ad lib, you know? We're a, we are a show of facts, my friend, when the facts present themselves. <laughs> <laughs> on a plantation in Bracken County, Kentucky, way back on February 13th, 1866, the plantation owners Nathaniel G. Squires and his wife were awoken by the sounds of panicked screams coming from their slaves' quarters. Soon after they set up in their bed, their room was bathed in an otherworldly bluish flickering light. Thinking the slaves' quarters were on fire, they rushed to see what was going on, but soon wish they hadn't bothered. Thinking that it was on fire instead, they saw that outside between their house and the slave quarters was a towering beast as tall as a cabin itself. It had an ape-like head, two small white horns situated above each of its eyes, long arms covered in grayish hair, and feline-like paws with huge hooked claws, as well as a long tail with a dart-shaped horn. There's fire flicking from its eyes, and they said its mouth exuded sheets of blue-colored fire. And then they thought it looked like the entire body had a thin sheen of fire, like oil was burning on its flesh, or maybe instead the flesh itself was composed of fire itself. As frightened as the plantation owners were, they backed away, and slaves screamed and cowered in the flaming monstrosity. Suddenly, was engulfed in a blazing spiral column of fire. It was so intense and explosive, the entity disappeared inside the flames, and then all they could see was just a huge churning column of fire. After a few moments, the fire then suddenly went out, and the creature was gone. Oddly, though, no trace of scorched earth nor burn damage can be found in either the home or the slave quarters or the ground in which they saw the beast. That's fucking demon, dude. Because, like, especially, <laughs> like, in Kentucky and Louisiana, um, uh -huh. like, during... Uh, I don't know, non-working hours, right? So you're required uh -huh. to work the fields from, like, sunup to sundown. And then at, like, sundown, nobody gave a fuck what you did. Like, hey, dude, you want to go practice voodoo? You want to go have, like, bang the drums and do whatever? Like, we don't give a shit. Uh, just fucking stay out of trouble. And uh, so that's that's what, a, like, a lot of slaves on plantations did. Like, they'd have their nightly mm -hmm. rituals. Um, I'm just thinking, like, maybe you had some up-and-coming voodoo priestess that maybe 100% didn't know what she was doing and summoned a fucking fire <laughs> demon. She was like, whoops, sorry. All right, up next. From a book called Humanoid Encounters by Albert Rosales. There's perhaps an even weirder case from a place called Willow Creek near Brooksville, Kentucky, back in 1868. On October 10th of that year, an unnamed prominent tobacco merchant was returning home along a darkened county road when he said he was suddenly approached by a hideous apparition. It was described as looking like a man on top, having a pale face and flames licking all over its uh, shoulders, like a hellish mockery of human hair. And its eyes were filled with blue flames. 
Its lower half, though, was that of a horse, with legs tipped with hooves, but with a tail that was a mass of fire. With each breath it took, it emitted a solid sheet of fire that vibrated with the heaving of its breasts like a pendulum of a clock. Instead, most of its bottom half was wreathed in flame. Adding to the surreal strangeness of it all was that the creature was holding a torch in one hand and a sword in the other. What the serious fuck? <laughs> no thanks, buds. That, that seems like an unlikely combo. Like torch and a sword like what's what's going on here i don't know dude i mean a beast my like name, that can my, do whatever the fuck it wants really yeah my name is buck and i'm here to fuck huh. let's burn this <laughs> shit right. down yeah. baby <laughs> uh, when the fiery abomination saw the man it ran off and the witness gave chase because that's what you fucking do i guess but every time he almost caught up with the beast it would vanish just to reappear where it had first been seen at one point, it seemed to have gotten tired of being chased and suddenly turned the tables and full-on charged the witness. And at the sight of the hideous flaming demonic thing hurling towards him, the witness set off into retreat, managing to lose it and get back to town. There, he reported what happened, and a mob of townspeople was formed to hunt down the apparition. But when they found it, it was easily able to evade them. Apparently, it's able to climb walls and walk atop fences. After some time of this, it allegedly then vanished into a ball of fire and simply disappeared. That's kind of interesting. It was able to walk atop fences and climb walls. It sounds a lot like Spring Hill Jack. Yeah, yeah. I, that guy would also belch fire, too. You know, I guess when you said torch, I was thinking like a flamethrower or like one of those little butane torches. <laughs> In 1866? Pro- <laughs> I, I didn't pay attention. So, you know, in 1866, like a little wooden torch makes more sense because it's dark outside. He needs to see what he's doing. He can't chop mm-hmm. off fucking heads if he can't see. And, you know, if he needs to ignite himself, he can just go bloop and then he's he's done. So, I, I you know, I'm going to correct myself on that. That's okay. It's all right, buddy. Yeah. Our next story comes from an eight-year Army veteran named Justin. Justin tells a story of an encounter he recalls from when his family had moved into a two-level house in Middleton, Ohio, back when he was about 11 years old. The landlord, who happened to be a friend of the family told Justin and his family they could live on the property for free if they just agreed to clean it up, because it had been vacant for several years, and at this point there were several dead animals taking up residence in the home, and lots of unsavory graffiti in the basement. And judging by some of the graffiti and animal corpses, the landlord had thought that the house may have been used for some type of cult-like activity by some of the vagrants that had broken in and squatted there for a while. But Justin's family didn't seem to be bothered by the information, and they agreed to move in. Well, after moving in, strange things began to happen. The family began to hear strange sounds throughout the house, like disembodied footsteps and unearthly growling noises. Alarm clocks would go off that weren't even plugged in, and some of his family even began to notice sightings of shadow people throughout the house. His older brother said that he saw one that was tall, while his mother notably saw a little boy-sized shadow person. 
Justin admits that he himself never saw any shadow people, though what he saw was something much more terrifying. It was sometime back in September 2001 that Justin recalled that he had just had a fight with his parents. He was pissed off and didn't want to go to bed, so he just sat at the top of the stairs, sulking, when suddenly he noticed a bright light in the corner of his eyes. So he looked over his left shoulder and saw a strange, unfamiliar figure standing down at the end of the hallway. But what's even stranger here is that he said the entity looked to be about seven feet tall, taller than anybody in the family. And it seemed as though it was a big green mass of flames. And it seemed to have somewhat of a humanoid figure, but he couldn't make out a face. And he couldn't tell if it had eyes. He also notes that the color was green, but a green he had never seen before. So he sat for just a few moments asking himself, what am I looking at? It isn't human. This can't be right. And then he bolted down the stairs, and as he did, he noticed the entity seemed to have hurled a strange greenish type of object, possibly an orb or a fireball, down at him. He had no idea what it was, and it never struck him. During the sighting, though, there was absolutely no smell or sound. He noted this to be the creepiest aspect of all because when you see fire, you at least expect to hear crackling. But the experience was completely silent. He ran downstairs and told his parents, and when they went upstairs to check out what was going on, the entity was gone. His father assumed he made up the story, but soon after this, his uncle's house, which was directly behind where they were staying, had caught fire. Nobody was injured, but the house burned down to the ground. Justin was unsure if the sighting of the fire entity was related to the fire at his uncle's house, though. Given the timing, he thought it was probably more curious than anything. Justin was so traumatized by the sighting of the entity that his family made him see a counselor afterwards. But the entity was never seen again. So they say where there's fire, there's smoke, or maybe I might have that backwards, buddy. But anyway. Yeah, where there's smoke, there's fire, baby. Where there's smoke, there's right. fire. Right. I didn't have time to rewrite the entire episode and bring up smoke entities first, but as a segue, yeah. any hoozle, I wanted to talk about some very bizarre smoke entities as well. So moving on to Litchfield, California. On the cold winter evening of December 20th, 2003, another guy named Mike claims that he went outside of his house where he lived by himself to get some much-needed fresh air and stretch his legs after he spent the day working hard on a project he was doing for work. At some point while he was out walking around, he noticed up in the sky was a dark cigar-like shaped object that he said looked like a giant blimp with no lights. As he tried to figure out just what exactly it was, there was a bright pink flash and there was suddenly standing in front of him a man which he said was made of smoke. Man, he looked like he was made of gray smoke and his form was being illuminated by the moon. At that point, I didn't know what happened to the object in the sky, since my eyes were transfixed on the man or whatever it was slowly walking toward my front door. Then I heard the dogs in the neighborhood start howling and barking, and this figure kept walking towards me. I called out, hey, can I help you? And this thing was now less than a hundred feet in front of me, and still getting closer. It looked just like a man, but made of smoke. It was about seven feet tall, maybe, you know, 
six feet eleven and three fourths inches. I'm I'm not sure. <laughs> he was slim and I could see no face or hands, just arms, a head, legs, and a body. And I quickly went back into the house and closed the door and I pulled down the shades. Then the lights went out. And that really freaked me out. I went to the phone to call the police, but the phone was dead. Then, all of a sudden, there was a pounding on the door and all the walls of my home. The pounding was so loud and so strong that things were flying off the shelf I had in the living room. So I ran upstairs and got a baseball bat to protect myself because, you know, a hardwood bat's going to go right through the smoke, man, but I didn't have anything else. As he went down the stairs armed with the baseball bat, he could hear voices coming from down there that sounded like someone chanting in some strange alien language. Although he was scared, he nevertheless charged into the living room, shouting and swinging the baseball bat around, breaking furniture. I went downstairs and yelled, surprise, motherfucker, swinging the bat, and I walked into the living room, knocking the lamps and breaking my television in the process. Then all of a sudden, the voices stopped and the lights went back on. I was shaking. I grabbed for the phone, and thank God it was working. I called the police, and two officers came over in about ten minutes and took the report. I could tell that the officers didn't believe me, and they asked if I was drinking or if I'd been doing drugs. I had never seen a ghost or had anything happen to me that was supernatural or whatever, but this changed my mind and made me realize that we are not alone and the only living beings sharing this planet. In another strange case in February 22, 2002, an edition of the El Tribunal of Salto had a story about an unnamed young man went out one day hunting in the rural area of El Duranzito, near uh, about 15 kilometers southeast of Rosario de la Frontera in Argentina. He says he was riding his bicycle and was suddenly shoved by unseen hands and went tumbling to the ground. He hadn't been hit by anything and hadn't lost control of the bike, but rather an invisible something or other had physically pushed him off, and after he managed to pick himself up off the ground, he turned around and witnessed the culprit. Standing there was a black, shadowy figure that seemed to be made of tightly packed black smoke. The young man panicked and grabbed a shotgun. Fired it, but the shots apparently had no effect on whatever it was that continued to loom in front of him. There were no facial features, no clothing, just that thick black smoke that was held together in the shape of a man. It then lurched towards him and he tried to stab it, but his knife passed right through it. It then grabbed him by the hair and began dragging him back into the woods as he screamed and kicked in defiance. Another local man arrived after hearing the shouts and would claim that as soon as he arrived, a black phantom figure dissipated like smoke and vanished into thin air. A more recent account, though, comes from 2010 concerning a witness called Kelly who says that she was in her living room with her husband one evening, enjoying a TV show. And now the two of them don't smoke, but oddly enough that evening in particular, they noticed a strange wisp of smoke wafting through the air. I thought it might be a fire, but there was no smell, and checking the house showed there was no fire anywhere to be found. They sit there trying to figure out what the smoke was coming from, and then suddenly... Just then, a puff of smoke, or... 
fog rushed between us, stopped in front of our faces, and swirled up and quickly vanished. I asked him, Did you see that? He responded, Yeah, but I didn't know what that was. We don't smoke. No open windows. Came out of nowhere. To me, it was definitely a spirit, but my husband lost his grandmother at the end of October, and he was really close with her, and I wonder if it was her telling us that she was in the afterlife. I would like to know, but I'm not willing to do something to cause my family harm. And now another story I found from Reddit that was kind of familiar. It was about a Redditor who said his sister was visiting at the time while her kid was inside watching TV and the rest of the family was sitting outside on the front porch, all facing the front yard. At some point, the radio started playing the song My Sweet Lord by George Harrison. In a detail they said that will forever be never forgotten was when the part came on that said, I really want to know you. I really want to go with you. Suddenly something strange happened. While his sister was talking, he said that he saw something black coming towards him and then felt it pass through his legs. Then it went behind his sister and passed around her and his wife. And then it went through the front yard before hitting the fence. It then disappeared. Right after that, he said he was so confused. All he could do was say out loud that he thought that it was a cat or something else. But his wife cut him off and said, that wasn't the cat, I saw it too. The sister didn't see it, but she said that suddenly she felt very scared. What she said was weird because he and his wife both felt the exact opposite. Some kind of peaceful feeling had washed over the both of them right after the experience. Well, to conclude our fire and smoke entities, I'll tell a quick story that I may or may not have told on the show before, but have I told you guys about the time that we had a weird smoke phantom in our apartment back in El Dorado? Yeah, maybe. I think I told you about it, Preston, a little bit, but... So when we lived in El Dorado, we lived on a second-story apartment. Uh, we lived on the end of the building, so there's nobody beside us on you know both sides, just one side. Well, the apartment next to us on the second floor was vacant, the apartment, the apartment below us was vacant, and then there was only somebody living in the apartment caddy corner below us. But what was really strange, and Shayla can attest to this too, is that every night right around 10 o'clock, you'd get the smell of smoke coming into the apartment. Now, I checked. There's nobody in the apartment next to us. There's nobody smoking in the vacant apartment below us. And the lady who lived caddy corner from us didn't smoke. But almost every single night, you could smell the smell of cigarettes in the bathroom in our hallway and the bathroom in our bedroom and once in a while down the hallway itself. Um, it lasted for like three years. We never found out what the culprit was. But there was a time that I had taken a shower in our hallway bathroom and the doorway is set up to where when you open up the curtain of the shower, you can look straight out into the hallway. And across from the door to the bathroom was a poster for War of the Worlds. Perpendicular to the bathroom was our second bedroom, which we used for an office, and that's important. So I'd taken a shower, opened up the curtain, grabbed my towel, bent over, drying my hair, and I stood up and dried my face off, and right when I looked out in front of me in the hallway, both the cats we had at the time took off just tearing ass across the hallway. And I managed to go, what the hell? And then all of a sudden, the guy who looked like he's wearing like a three-piece suit from like the 50s or 60s comes walking out. He has a bowler hat in his hand. He stops right in front of this poster. I can see right through it. 
but what's weird is like his head down to his shoulders was almost solid. His shoulders down to his waist were semi-transparent and it faded down to where you couldn't see his feet. He took the bowler hat, put it on top of his head, and then poof, just dissipated. Oh. I didn't smell any smoke that day because this was during the afternoon, but the smell was both before and after I saw whatever the hell that apparition was. But yeah, we had a little mm. smoke phantom in our apartment. Hmm. Well, buddy boy, I called it without our 10-minute chat in the beginning. That's about 40 minutes worth of fire and smoke entities. What do you think? Uh, fucking rip it and grip it, Jen. baby. Jen. <laughs> Jen. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, it's 1030 now. That's the one-hour mark. We should probably just go ahead and bounce on out of here. If you guys are on the social media, please check us out on Instagram at PXLParanormal. On Facebook, we are The Pixelated Paranormal Podcast. We would definitely like to thank you guys for watching and joining us live and chiming in and commenting as we record. Preston, tell me a little bit about YouTube, man. Are we still climbing the ranks there? Uh, what did I tell you we were at last time? Do you remember? I believe it was 252. Oh, fuck yeah. We got two more, man. We're up 250, 254. Keen. Give us some more. Right. Hell yeah. <laughs> like, man. subscribe, and share. Uh, you know, if you pay attention to the bottom right hand side of the screen, you'll see a lovely green paint splurt thing that says like and subscribe. I don't know. Follow those directions and smash that button. Uh, show mm -hmm. us some love. Share and tell all your friends. And uh, let's see where we can go and grow. You know, hell yeah, we want to be man. growers, yeah. not showers. You know, <laughs> all right. Um, something speaking of watching stuff, something we got to keep our eyes peeled for. Um, you remember Hell Year, right? Um, Greg and Dana Newkirk, and um, oh gosh, I'm blanking on the rest of their names there, but you remember that documentary, right? Uh, hell Year. Well, we covered a season yeah, one, yeah. season two, mm -hmm. yeah. We covered a story about something similar that happened to a couple who found this really strange, like, statue. And I forget what it was called. My God, I'm sorry. because I kind The of just... crone. The crone. Thank you. Yeah, the crone statue. Perfect. Apparently, they're working on a new documentary about that story. Now, if you guys remember, the crone was this weird wooden sculpture statue that had a bunch of nails, like, hammered into its eyes and, like, a little noose tied around its neck. And apparently um, this couple that were hiking, they found it in this weird little like, you know, outcropping or a cave and took it to their house and all sorts of weird shit went on. And then Greg and Dana Newkirk, I believe they had it for a little while before it was returned. Any hoozle, there is going to be a documentary about this. It's kind of like the follow up to hell you're called the unbinding. Now, they don't have, like, a release date yet, but I think it's something to keep our eyes peeled, and uh, once we watch it, we'll definitely have to cover that. Yeah, I've seen a couple of interviews on that and the process, mm -hmm. so they finally figured that figured out that it was a, somehow, like, it had a spirit attached to it. Um, mm -hmm. Like, maybe uh, there was a binding ritual where maybe you have a, a coven of witches and they were pissed off at Sister Jane. So they cursed her mm. soul and bound it to this statue. So they had to figure out, basically retrace the steps of the hikers, figure out where they found it in the Catskills. And then Dana performed a ritual while her husband pulled out nail after nail after nail. They had to create like a protection circle. 
Like in the interviews that I, I've watched, they're talking about how there was shit in the woods, like trying to attack them and big shadow creatures and all this weird shit. I'm like, oh my god, man, Damn. I didn't know all this ex- all this extra details. And now that you're telling me there's a fucking doc documentary, I'm like, we got to watch it. Shit, yeah, man, I'm into it. I'm um, I will let you know as soon. As, <laughs> I will let you know as soon as it gets released, man. And maybe we can uh, check that out. But yeah, as of right now, they just say coming soon. So I have to keep our eyes peeled for that. Well, cool. Well, what do you got on Dobbs, buddy? And as always, if you need a beard, if you want a beard, if you want to grow a beard, when people look at you, they say to themselves, "Damn, dog, that beard is on fire." Well, I tell you what, you can do. You can go over to BigDobsBeardBomb.com and use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order and pick yourself up some scents like Bay Rum, Fresh, Citrus, Mint, Sweet Tobacco, and Classic. Put that shit in your face and you too, my friend, will have a beard that is on fire. You'll look good, you'll smell good, and your level of manliness, like... You might be like, you know, five eleven and a half inches. You'll fucking go to six automatically. Like your beard will just get you there. Like you'll you'll grow an extra inch all the way around. So Yeah. If you're a shy uh, peer, you won't be a shy peer uh, anymore, dude. You'll have the confidence to whip that thing out and fucking show the world what you're rocking with. Uh so get it all. Get it adopted. Don't do anything that'll get you sent to prison. Yeah, I should probably mention if, that. So. <laughs> right, right. And if you're in the Wichita area, please stop by and see our dear friend Leslie and the rest of the gang at CD Trade Post, Pawnee, and Seneca. Cool. All right, man. Well, next time around, what do you got? A little more Haunted America? Is that on the docket? Yeah. So I'm going to whip out... Uh, I'll actually have it here in the... Hold on. Let me get my... The fucking kids are down in the office this evening. Watching the old YouTubers and, and uh-huh, oh, uh-huh. making a mess. That was the wrong book. Never mind. That's the Krampus <laughs> Kiss from Krampus. Thought that was the haunted, uh, haunted Texas book. But uh, I think we're going to yeah. revisit uh, Texas again and do some uh, haunted Texas. So sweet. Sounds good, man. That sounds good. All right. Well, until next time, folks. I'm going to raise this glass to kombucha here and say cheers to the weird shit in the world and those of us that love to talk about it. And stay spooky. And stay on the paranormal highway. The cast that Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.